Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. I'm not sure where you are in the world, but I'm sure it is good because there is hockey on TV. There is hockey happening all the way around the world in Tokyo right now, and it is absolutely thrilling. Today, of course, we want to talk about the South Africa and Belgium match. It was a match where defensive coaches pull their hair out and attacking coaches praise themselves for an absolutely superb uh, goal mouth display. Of course, the world champions Belgium emerging victorious by nine goals to four. But maybe, just maybe, Diane Kassim has earned himself a contract at one of the biggest European clubs because they're definitely taking notice. Of course, you don't necessarily want to hear from me about all of this. So today, our esteemed panel that's going to take us through and help us prepare for the uh, South Africa versus Netherlands game tomorrow as well. It's none other than Onam Vimby, John Wright, Andy Bernstein, and Brett Tucker. And uh, Tux, uh, you're, you're part of the team and uh, maybe uh, should have even been able to get over to Tokyo. You would have been with the team. We'll start with you. What, what what are the emotions that we could describe ourselves at sitting at right now after that game today? 9-4 defeat. Um, definitely some, some things to be proud of, some things to be really disappointed in. But uh, where do you sit on the emotional scale right now? How's it, Ty? How's it, guys? Thanks for having me on board. Um, I think very similar to I think what happened in the previous game after chatting to Tim and Gareth. I think the reality is that there's exciting things happening that we are scoring goals, but I think we're going to be quite disappointed by the fact that we're conceding the amount of goals that we are at the moment. I think there's definitely a belief that's starting to start, which I think we haven't had for a while in terms of against top international opposition. So as much as I think they will be excited about what we're doing in terms of goal scoring, I do think at the back, at the back of their minds, particularly the guys in the back five, they're going to be saying, sure, but we need to do a better job than we currently do in terms of the game. So yeah, Bit of a mixed emotion on you guys. Yeah, uh, Tux, I don't know, you, you were coming in and out a little bit there, but uh, the sentiment was very clear mixed emotions. Uh, Andy, we bring you in here. I mean, we're seeing some of the most exciting attacking play we've ever seen from a South African men's side, um, you know, that I can recall. And in a player like Diane Kasim, we have a man who has the scoring capability of a Greg Nickel, but looks like he's got even more uh, in his locker than just the finishing. I mean, the attacking side of things must be impressive for you as a coach. Yeah, thanks, um, Tyron. Great to be on board. Um, yeah, I agree 100%. Um, coming from Cape Town and having both the Kasim brothers playing local league here is always, is always fun to watch. I think... They both, both of them offer such diverse, um, sort of like a different aspect of the game. If you look at Greg Nicol, I think a lot of his goals were scored by PCs and, and those kind of set players, whereas these two especially um, offer an excitement in, in a game. In any team, you, you, you know, they would be your first picks in terms of goal scorers. I, I think they, you know, they deserve their place and they are super exciting kids to watch. Um and I agree with your sentiment right in the beginning, you know, any club would, would uh, bend over backwards in offering them both contracts. Um, but I just think their ability to accelerate uh, through um, and, and breaking the seam by means of running with the ball um, offers a lot in any team going forward. 
And then obviously their finishing touches are, are sublime. They, they're re really good hands, uh, good decision-making under pressure and, and are just really quite quick inside the circle, which is, which is what you want out of a top-class striker. Yeah, not just quick with their hands, their feet. I mean, their minds almost just, they, they're able to spot gaps that maybe us mere mortals would never be able to spot. Uh, yeah, 100%. They, they also just have, I think, yeah, to be fair, just an attacking mentality, which is what you need up front. And, and um, Billy and, and the rest of the boys up front also offer that. Um, and, and I think that's possibly one of the big differences between our men and women's side, to be honest. But, um, yeah, coming, coming back to, to the SA men, they really do impress when we do go forward. Um, and even more so when we get the ball going forward quicker uh, by means of like a classic example in the second chucker with Mustafa's goal was it was a butte from Matt right from the back throwing that overhead. So you're not running with the ball, you're just making the ball do the work and, and good pick up and finish was brilliant. And let's bring you in here because obviously the, uh, the attacking side of the game is looking really good. The defensive side of the game, I mean, obviously you're under siege of pressure, but uh, still making a, a number of errors in certain moments or, or not competing in certain moments that's allowed probably too many circle penetrations against us. For me. Yeah, for you, Owen. Um, yeah, I think... The way we recover from our mistakes is what hurts us. I think every single game, you're going to make mistakes in this game of hockey. So just like Belgium and every other team will make mistakes, we too will make mistakes. And the team that recovers the best from certain mistakes um, can obviously defend crucial errors, you know, and then have the confidence to try again. So the, there's a, like a mental game of if I make a mistake and I get punished, do I want to get the ball in the same area? and then maybe make, make a better decision or not want to get the ball there anymore. And that, that's the balance that we, we're fighting with here. And I think our strikers give our team a lot of hope, you know, that we must give them the confidence, let them try new things because it's things that people haven't seen, that people that probably even in our team that we didn't believe we had, that maybe based, I would personally say as players, we know we had it. A lot of us knew that we can compete at this level because we played it at, at, against some of these players. But when we come together and the psychology and the conversation that we have when we're a group, it's not necessarily like we're going to go to Olympus and win. We don't go there with that mentality. We go there like we want to compete, we maybe want to make history, we want to come top eight. But now, if we had, that men if we had the mentality to win, um, even defensively, that would improve. And the psychological effort of being 2-2 or 3-3 or 3-0 up or 4-1 down is different because you, you kind of believe in the different gear that you have. And because you've been training for it, you've been preparing for it and knowing that you have to give that extra edge. And I think that's the only thing. And But they've been a nice platform for the rest of the, the squad in the country now to be like, let's start believing more. You know, what we're seeing from a young team now and yes, some older players, but to be fair, the older players at the back and the youngsters are up front, you know, that it's the youngsters bringing a different mindset to, to, to the current, let's call it a hockey squad, and that's where we're getting our fire from. And then we just need to keep on building that, that excitement and take it 
also the way the turnover. We underestimate how Sayana Lem or reverse pressing and Billy and, and Keenan and them. They're one of the best defensive units as well. Tevin, those front five are extremely good on defense as well. They work great, their fitness, their angles, the way they communicate is really underlooked because of how well they attack. But when you watch them as a coach or as a player and you play with them, you realize that it's there. And I don't really have mixed emotions. It hurts that we lost and stuff like that, but I'm super happy to like to see the level and the belief and speak to the guys um, off the games and see how they feel. And everyone in the country that's a hockey player decided to get back out there and wait for COVID and start training and believing and being part of the squad again and just building on this new journey that has been created so far. Yeah, thanks for that, Owen. Uh, it really is a, a time of optimism when you look at the, the players and, and the squad. You know, uh, one of the, the criticisms that we've seen, and, and it did pop up again today, and there would be no better person to ask about this. Uh, John, the discipline at times, you know, at the wrong time, the discipline lacks. And as we've seen in each game, it's those moments of ill discipline that have cost South Africa goals in defence I mean, why? What? What? What is the reason for that? Is it? Is it the difference in skill? And it's almost just a, a case of, you know, you can't keep up. You take them down. Is it a mental thing? Is it a, a behavioural thing? Because we've we've seen three big momentum swings in all the games when we've had a a card. Yeah, Tyron, you, you raise a very valid point, and I think it's been a problem with South African hockey for a long, long time, and it's it's not only synonymous with the men or the women also seem to delve into those problems as well. It wasn't as expensive for us today. Although, I mean, albeit we only had, we had two green cards, it's critical times. You know, when you're playing, um, and with no disrespect to, to South Africa, we are up against the, the seven ball, as it were. I mean, we're always going to be, be battling. You know, we're going to be chasing the game. So to play with only nine or ten players makes it even more difficult. And, and I think it's something that we're going to have to work on. Like I said, today it wasn't that bad. But in, in the Holland game, it cost us severely. And that's the difference between, if, especially if you start looking at our pool, we've still we've had the Netherlands, and I would have liked to have seen us have an upset against the Netherlands because, uh, albeit even a draw, um, to just take points off them and all of a sudden other teams now start to worry. Now you face Belgium. Um, I agree, we, we scored some fantastic goals, which gives us a lot of hope. Um, but at the same time, we conceded nine. So... Uh, it's not going to get any easier moving forward. We've got Germany to come as well. Um, and somewhere along the line, we needed an upset. Uh, and then all of a sudden, come towards the end of the tournament, you, you're battling it out with Canada as to who's going to be playing for last in the pool. So discipline is critical. It, it's one of the important factors that make up any team's makeup, as it were. And as I said in my opening comment, I think South Africa, we've battled with this for a long, long time. It puts the coaching staff under immense pressure. Um, and it just puts the whole team structure under, under pressure. So until we get, get that sorted out, we're going to battle because you, we talk discipline in, in various forms. Number one is, is discipline as in getting sent off the field. And number two, discipline is following the team structure and the team process and the team match plan that you have. And as soon as one of those waivers, uh, the others is severely affected and, uh, it's, it's a costly, it's really costly for us. And I, I think that's one of our biggest letdowns that we face at the moment. Sorry, Jono. So what would you say is the biggest thing from your perspective? Why making such poor decisions under pressure with regards to the cards we're getting? 
Well, I think the players have got to realize that, that, that when they're getting ditched off the field, uh, it just puts the team under pressure and, and your whole match process goes out the window and you cannot do anything while those players are off the field because you, you, you're soaking up pressure while you've got 11 players on the field. Now you're going down to 10. You, you're even more out of the game as it were. So you've either got to try and conserve and when you're playing against a side like Belgium, when they've got the ball, it's bloody difficult to get the ball back. So I don't know how you would try and counteract that. So it's, it's especially when, you, when you're so-called the underdog, it's, it's very important to have your full numbers on the field. Um, and that's where the players have, have got to try and tighten up a bit. Um, whether it comes from back in our domestic league, back in our club leagues, it probably is where it all starts. Um, we, we've got to get tighter and we've got to get more disciplined. Um, you cannot play this game with less players than the opposition. Yeah, it does. It also brings into the the point from a coaching perspective is that we need. I, I know, like local level, there are very few teams that train the man up, man down scenario. So you know, even in our club sides, we need to spend more time on on the what if. You know, what if we have players sent off? How do we cope with a with a man down? Um, and just from a, a local coaching perspective, we don't see that very often being trained. Andy, what about? Andy, sorry, I want to ask you, in terms of your exposure at coaching, are you, are you finding that the guys are reacting poorly to bad decisions? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, like players are making errors. Umpires are also making errors. So do you think we're training or, 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 or just enough to, get, to be able to accept the bad decisions? I didn't get all of that, Brett. Um, I'm just thinking also from, from what you what you were saying is because I also wanted to ask John, I just thought a, a, one of those cards, I think it was Tim's card, I thought it was pretty harsh because he was moving, going in for a tackle, pretty much got bowled over and then got given a card for obstruction. I thought that was a bit harsh. But but either way, um, you know, as if, if I was part of a team that was playing at, at this level and, we, and the game is such a high-intensity type game, how do we cope with not having a player in the field? Potentially, we could have just dropped all back. I mean, we, we then don't have the high attackers, but at the same time, we just need to play out that, that time that we don't have the, the man on the field. Um, and how do we cope with one less player? You know, possibly if they are getting, possibly go into half-court press. It might not be attractive, but it might be effective. So that we have numbers back in defence and then possibly use the space behind their platform and counter because... As um, Owen was saying, our, our five strikers are super quick. You know, you've got the likes of Tev, you've got the likes of uh, the Kasim brothers, you know, even, you know, we've got really quick strikers. So potentially maybe back off defensively when we don't have the ball and we numbers down and then it's risk versus reward and then maybe throw over and just beat them for pace because I think that's very possible. Andy, I, w- I want to bring that in there because, uh, you know, and and – it can be to any of you, really. One of the things that we've seen, and, and we've seen it categorically with uh, the men and the women over the years, but we, we often concede goals in clusters. We don't concede yeah. one, we concede two or three in a short space of time. Right? And, and the discipline often comes from that. Are we, are we too gung-ho when we concede to try and equalize immediately rather than to, to first try and uh, uh, consolidate and then go from there? Uh, you know, what, what's your view on that? Because we saw it again. The first quarter today, we pulled back level to one all, And, yeah. you know, you just thought, yes, we really could compete. 
And in the next seven minutes, we basically saw Belgium show us why they're world number one. They were clinical, but I felt that yes. we could have been maybe a little bit more almost. And, and, and John, a little you patient, know, maybe? maybe patient, yeah. but I also felt like maybe there was a space for a little bit more uh, cynical, but clever cynical play, you know, yeah. but if you're yeah. feeling yeah. momentum go against you there, you know, have Rassi's pad be loose quickly and just slow the play down or something. Yeah, good good point made. And I think Owen also um, attributed to it earlier about the mentality um, and, and how we as national players cope under pressure. Um, so, Owen, I don't know if you wanted to maybe add in something there. Yeah, um, like it's, de- it's definitely psychological, right? Um, technically, tactically, basics, whatever we have it. We can throw over it, we can flick, we can hit, we can dribble, we can do all, what, all the stuff that every other player in the world has. Right? But psychologically, when we score, it's relief. It's like, oh my gosh, we're back. And then that, that moment of like relaxation, right? Because we are the underdog. So understanding from that point of view that could be the underdog is a moment of like, Phew, okay, we're back in it. Let's maybe be calm or maybe we're still in it. But from the world number one's perspective, they are angry. So their mentality is different. Like we need to make sure we show these guys. We come out hot now, you know, and more clinical. They're preaching something. And, and that mentality is different. Instead of being like, if we won one, and we, like, we shouldn't be one more down, we won one, we close up shop now, and we need to go get two more or three more, that's a different mentality because then your urgency, your levels of heightened awareness and everything like that is higher. And you see this. This is normal because you sit in our club and IBC. You'll see Western Province or Southern or whatever go down 2-0 in a game and be calm because psychologically they believe they should beat a free state or whatever the case may be. And you can see it, right? But when you're on the opposite end now and we are now Northwest or whatever, I don't know, whatever, no insult to provinces, but you're the smaller province, saying it's a big province, i.e. Belgium and South Africa, your mentality when you're going 1-1 or 2-1 or you score a goal, it's like, wow, are we in this? I can't believe it. And that mentality is, it, it's crucial. It's key, key, key. And um, to, to believing and bring out the best in you as an individual, whether you're playing or you're one step ahead or you're one step too far or you're not right on the tactic, or if there's a mistake, you can react accordingly. You know, so mistakes are not necessarily tactical. You don't know when the mistake's going to happen. You don't know when the ball's going to bubble, someone's going to mistrap the ball. And how you react to that is a psychological and mental reaction and belief of how I can do it. Um, and the simple example for me is like, with, I think Rex has been having a great tournament, right? But he made, I think he made one mistake today. The first goal, I think Van Doren's goal, kind of anticipated and missed it. And it kind of ruined his whole game because he, he didn't want to let the goal in, his body language and everything like that. And then it, the few more other things he could have made, maybe something could have happened. And the whole team's morale went down a little bit. And even it's the sad thing about sports is that it may not be the whole team. I mean, a team sport. It may be like six guys, but it could be six crucial guys we need because we are South Africa. We need everyone, believe me. We need everybody making that diving tackle, that little stretch, that little edge to put ourselves in the top five, that little something that people don't believe we have. And that's kind of what it takes, but I also believe it takes from training it, from from the background, from preparing to be like that, preparing to overwork, overwork yourself, over video, do more video than not. You never know what you're going to miss. Train just an extra half an hour. 
um, discuss, have a discussion for a little bit longer, you know, and that's where these things can come in. And I think being the best in the world, you know, I don't think someone like Belgium, who just lost to the to, to Netherlands in the Euros, came in here being like, we'll just wing it on the day. I know how much how disciplined those guys are to to make sure that they figure you out. And that's the thing that teams do. You may look good and feel good for the first quarter, but the coaches, the players are figuring out, okay, they made a tackle here. They learn from every mistake that you make, they learn from it. From every good thing that you do, they learn from it. And they tweak it. They don't change the whole system. They tweak their lead, they tweak their runs, they tweak their actions. And that's the detail that these teams have with video analysis, with the players, and they can tweak it by making subs. Not at half time or at quarter time. They all make subs, four or five subs, and next thing they're playing differently against you. And it feels the same, but you're like, wow, is our system not working anymore? And that's the difference. You know, um, and Australia's pure class about that as well. I know if you've been watching them, but they do similar things. They just tweak a few things now, and the diversity of the players and the style in midfield, at the back, and strikers that they have can hurt the team quickly, and then the, the momentum shifts, and it's hard to get the momentum back if they're really tough Uh, thanks for that. Owen. Look, let, let's let's talk about the positives, and the positives are definitely, uh, well, I could say it in one word, Kasim, um, Diane, Mustafa, becoming the first brothers to score in back-to-back Olympic Games for South Africa in history. Um, obviously, they were the first brothers uh, to to score uh, in the same game since the the Fulton brothers. But they've now taken it a step further and done it in back-to-back games. You know, I mean, the one thing that maybe is understated, Mustafa is 18 years of age, matriculated last year. He goes into this as as almost as an unknown, and he's not phased on the 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 main stage. His discipline has also come back quite nicely. You know, it's a, a problem that a lot of people used to to say that his biggest challenge would be his discipline. We'd see an indoor quite often that would happen. Uh, John, as as a, an umpire who uh, has experienced the best and most petulant players in the world, you know where do you think uh, a, a player like Mustafa ranks up at at the tender age of eighteen compared to other guys at that age? Well, I think uh, it, it's clear that that both those brothers have got some fantastic talent, and I think it's something that South African really needs to play on is, uh, is the counter attack. We've got to catch teams. Unaware, I mean, even the Belgians, as good as what they are, and they're not number one uh, or or silver medalists in, in the two, uh, 2016 Olympics for nothing. I mean, they've shown that they can be beaten at the back. Uh, they've got a fantastic goalkeeper. So, you know, those those two and three, I'd add uh, Billion Thule there. If he continues as well and is able to, you know, keep his discipline, they can be fantastic players. And uh, that is a trait that South Africa need to need to play on is to catch teams on the counter-attack with exceptional skill and goal-scoring abilities. We haven't had a goal-scorer like, like those two brothers in a long while. So mm. hopefully there's more in, in the background somewhere that can also take up that, that kind of thing. You know, for me, Tyron, the, the averages are so slight at this level. You're either on the bus or you're off the bus. And, and off the bus could mean running behind it for 70 minutes or 60 minutes, whatever the, the duration of a game is nowadays. And, and that's what makes it really difficult. So either you pitch and you're on top of your game from ball one. And I think, let's be honest, all the factors against South Africa. You know, I, I wrote down here a little bit before we started that 
Belgium have just come out of the Euros where they must have played six or seven games at a high intensity, not Mickey Mouse, um, you know, warm-ups or inter-squad games or under, against under-21s or things like that. Then they've, then they've played the Pro League just prior to that. They've got a, they've got a national system where the furthest they probably have to travel is, is between Joburg and Pretoria to get all their players together. Um, we're just not that fortunate. I mean, with the greatest respect, we've played in Namibia four games leading up to, to the Olympics, which is the biggest uh, world uh, tournament for any athlete. So, you know, things are just stacked against us. Financially, we're not, we're not sound. Um, I think domestically, we don't have a good enough competition. And these are kind of things. You know, another stat that I brought up, in 20, 2004, I was at the tournament in Spain where we actually beat Belgium. We were coached by Giles Bonnet at that time. We beat Belgium and we qualified for Athens. Belgium didn't. And now all of a sudden you look at it, what's it, uh, 15, 16 years later, Belgium on top of the world. They've got top uh, structures, programs in place, right from under 14 level, right the way through to their seniors. Their domestic league is competitive, where you've got international players wanting to go and play in the Belgium league. It wasn't like that in the past. And I just wish we as South Africa would wake up and smell the roses from that perspective um, and, and get our own domestic system in place, our own club system in place, so that we can be a Belgium, hopefully, not in, in 16, 17 years' time, but maybe five or six years' time. And that, in my opinion, would make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I often drew the conclusions with uh, Argentina in 2016, Olympic champions. In 2011, we thoroughly beat them in the Champions Challenge at Randberg. 3-0 victory with uh, Justin Reed ross scoring, Lloyd Norris-Jones scoring. And, and honestly, at that stage, if you had ever told me that Argentina would go on and win an Olympic gold and we'd fight for 12th, um, you know, I would have laughed. And that's, you know, that's what's happened is if if we build a system and we develop a system, you know, that we really do have talent here. You see, the, the, the thing for for listeners that, that sometimes don't get it is we have an amazing school system in terms of sport. We've seen from a rugby point of view. We see it from a soccer point of view. We see it from a, rug, a, a, a hockey point of view. We have a very strong school system. Yeah, absolutely, and crickets. And the the idea is that we've got to utilize that to convert and develop our club system somehow because the the drain of players post-school is very frustrating. And and we see that. We're seeing, if we look at the girls, we're seeing some young players playing for this Olympic team now. And, you know, I hope I'm wrong in this statement, but some of them we may never see at a major tournament again. And I'm not talking about those who retire. I'm talking about the young players. Because, you know, life just leads away. Um, but, yeah, but, I think it's slightly different for, yeah, for as you say, time for the boys and girls post-school. Um, yeah, you have a very valid point. I'm, I'm not quite sure how we would fix that, especially from the girls' point of view. I think a lot of our girls that have come through the, into the national squads have all come through varsities, um, where the boys is a bit more of a mix. They don't all necessarily come from varsity backgrounds they come from clubs as you said um yeah but can i add just something to you know you were saying tyron about the positive let's look at it from a positive you know if we, we look at the stats on this game um we had three pcs they only had four yep we didn't score from our three and they scored from three out of their four but the fact that i think owen also said earlier we you know we're having 
opportunities to to get PCs against the world number one. I think it's a great positive. And if I was Gareth, I'd also be looking at the stats with regards to possession. They had 58% possession. We had 42. I think that's a, that's a pretty high percentage against the world number ones. And I think that's a very positive uh, takeaway that, that the team and the coaches can, can get from this game. The question that I would love to have with, with uh, coaches all over is what do we do with the possession? Because if we have a look, what did they do with their 58 and what did we do with our 42? And we look at circle entries when you have the ball. Um, there's, a, there's a probably quite a big difference there. So from a statistic point of view and an analytical point of view and a coaching perspective, I'm always one to say, right, what are we doing? What are we doing when we've got the ball and what are we doing when we don't have the ball? So 42% for me is very encouraging against this team. Um, but then possibly just look at what we've been doing with the ball. I think a lot of it has been uh, being patient, being playing the ball around the back, whereas uh, Belgium, with, the, with their tails up, would keep playing forward when they've got that 58% possession. So it makes a big difference on the final outcome of the game. But I think there are, there are huge positives to take away from this game. So I think we mustn't uh, forget that. Well, and, and let me ask you guys, is, is, is there a chance... And let's say, is there more than a 10% chance? Because obviously it's sport, there's always a chance. But is there more than a 10% chance that based on what we've seen so far, we could shock Germany? Yeah, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, um, I, I think, personally, I, like I said, I think Netherlands would definitely be I don't care. From three notes up, we should have clapped that team. Um, Germany, we drew with them 1-1. They were going a bit nervous. They're not going to come in confident. They've watched us play. We drew to them the last game last year at Wits, um, SAT. So I think they will be nervous. And if we, we've got nothing to lose. So the, the mindset will be really different from us. And for them, they, they might be the must-win game, maybe to be like second or third or whatever number they want to come in the pool to play the easier team in the other pool. So we can definitely get a result there. Um, just regards to the schools hockey, um, Tyron, a lot of school players get left out of the system because they're not taken care of. So there's a thing in South African hockey that if somebody is backed from like 19 years old, they are, they're probably not undroppable. So you have a really quality players that are maybe go to the wrong varsity or maybe they get to a coach and they're not really playing first team because they're really a solid team. Let's say some talented players now go to Tux next year. That whole Tux team is under 21. They may feel down, not being looked after, and then we lose a whole pool of really talented players. And another thing that we don't, in South Africa, we don't look after our players off under 21. So if you're not under 21, when you're 22, 23, 24, nobody's scouting you. They're really looking at the net under 21. So you might have been as under 21 captain, and you don't get a break into the national team. But now that you're 22 or 23, they bypass you. No one's looking at you. No one's monitoring your game. You're not in Boston. You now you're working, but you're still playing for Western Province or whatever. But you're being filtered out the system, actually, because they don't believe you can't get any better. So that system there in the middle is especially in the girls' system. Especially because girls are almost disciplined. They're like, oh, I'm not getting picked. You're getting a straight A. Go work. Get married. Gone. Out of the system. Boom. You've lost. And I was speaking to Mill actually, who coached at Orania. Um, I think it's the number one school, number two school in the country. 
and how many players come from that school and go straight into like or come close to the SM21 and the national team. And I think currently there's like one or two people in the Olympic team that are from that school. It's not maybe just one. And so many of them get lost because they they're not taken care of. It's not even like the player's fault or the club. It's just that uh you're just not favored or you're just not um, seen at the right time and then if you perform the next year too late. So we don't have that system. If you watch like in football, and now John is saying like in Belgium when it's more professional, that someone like Thomas Brill was a non-traveling reserve for the Belgian team. 350 caps. Like if you're not good enough this year in, in soccer, in whatever, you don't make it. And in South Africa, it's not like that. We kind of hang on to players. Now we are blessed to see people like Kasim's and stuff, but we had them. We had those Norris Jones, the Julian Heights, the Kingsley's, the Taylor Phillips' older brother, that were freakishly talented. And, but they also carry other players that are given more chances in a way because we're scared to make decisions of to be cut the person out for now. And that's how it is, like in the SA system. They cut you out, out. They don't like drop you for this series or for another thing. And that's the, the scary thing in the psychological play because we're not professionals, not getting paid, and we have to pay ourselves. And that all boils up to how we lose so many great players from schools into the working environment. As we get older, we need money. And then I just agree 100% with John that you need to find a way to professionalize it so that people can earn more money from hockey to prolong their careers. And you can still study. A lot of hockey players are actually quite smart. You study and some employees let you work and you can be a professional and take care of yourself, you know, and it can be a part that you want to choose and not give up so early if you get one or two bad breaks. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks for that. Oh, look, uh, we, we, we've, uh, we've got a, a mountain of uh, things that we want to deal with in hockey, but uh, you know, just bringing it back to, to Tokyo uh, as our time is slowly starting to wind down. Uh, John, it would be a miss, a miss of me to not at least ask you, uh, have you thought about the officiating and more specifically the South African officiating? We've, we've obviously got uh, Michelle Hubert there, who is an absolute legend in the third team, and Lise Rostron, who has had a fantastic build-up uh, in her career. And of course, some other guy that you know fairly well um, is uh, doing a pretty good job over there as well. Yeah, Tyron, uh, the hockey is few and far between at the moment on TV. So it's a bit difficult to, to give a, a good you know, assumption of where the umpires are going from. By all accounts, I think they're doing okay. Um, you know, you correctly said Michelle is world-class and in my opinion, probably the, one of the best uh, lady umpires or female umpires around and definitely at the, at the Olympics. I haven't been able to to see too much of Peter's uh, games, but what he tells me, he says things are going okay. I think generally from an officiating perspective, it's not too bad. You know, in, in the exact same light as what we, we talk about the teams, the umpires, very few of them have had any form of preparation. I think Peter had two games, uh, obviously a bit of domestic stuff in Perth where he's semi-residing at the moment. And then he had two games between Australia and New Zealand as preparation. Michelle had nothing other than the men's Games against um, the under-21s, I think it was, uh, in Poch. And Annalise was down with COVID, so she didn't have any or anything as far as preparation. So it does become difficult. 
Um, and so it's exactly the same from an officiating perspective. I think one thing that there has been a lot of concern about at the Olympics has been the video umpires and the referrals understand that they've got very poor quality visuals coming through. Now, it's not like we have uh, at our domestic tournaments when we do have television, where Supersport run and, and handle the video umpire. Uh, at the Olympics, it's, it's rather involved and complicated. So I believe they are getting things right now. You cannot have video umpire taking between three and five minutes to make a decision. Uh, in my opinion, if you're not able to make a decision within 20 or 30 seconds, well, then you should be saying no advice possible, move along. That's just the way the game is. But uh, they have had some obstructions that they're trying to get over. Um, but I think there's a, there's a strong enough panel at the Olympics to hopefully do credit to the games and to the standard of the games. I mean, you know, we, we're very critical in South Africa from just having observed today's game, for instance. Let me tell you, it was one of the best uh, hockey games that, that you can see. To witness 13 goals in, in a game is fantastic. I mean, from a spectator's perspective, you couldn't ask for more. So um, I know we took a bit of a pounding today, 9-4, but to put everything into, into perspective. Belgium are one of the top teams in the world. And I would be surprised if they did not play for a at least a semi-final and if not a final or gold medal position come later on in the tournament. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll put my hand up and say that as long as uh, and and I haven't uh, looked at uh, the semi-final pools, but as long as it works out that way, the two best teams at this tournament are Belgium and Australia, and I think that would be the dream final uh, to watch. Um, based on what I've seen so far, I mean, Belgium are clinical. Australia in looking unstoppable at present. The way they dismantled uh, India the other morning was was unbelievable. But uh, before we look at them, obviously those are the top two teams in the men's side. The top team in the women's side is uh, almost so far ahead that uh, it's like Hamilton and Verstappen in F1. They're almost lapping the teams behind them. And that is the Netherlands. And uh, our South African ladies are taking on Netherlands tomorrow. It is at 2.30. Andy, what do we do to try and uh, stop the blood flow tomorrow? Because uh, we are playing the juggernauts who are so good. I mean, this is how far ahead they are. They are so far ahead of us that uh, they actually don't take any ranking points off of us if they beat us. <laughs> yeah, good point, Tara. And you know what? Uh, just being a hockey nerd, I thought, let me go have a look. Um, and, and if you do a little bit of research, they've got more than a thousand caps more in that team than we have. A thousand. They've, they've got over 2,000 caps with those players. We have just just on a th- just over a thousand, um, you know, with uh, only four players ever being capped 100 times. That experience counts for a hell of a lot on the day. Um, so it's it's phenomenal. It's going to be. I think it's going to be an amazing game. Um, I, I, it could go either way. We're going to be so pumped, um, hopefully disciplined, and we're going to just we're going to stop the flow potential the potential flow, um, and then po- you never know. Possibly score score an upset. We started so well um, yesterday. Again, similar to the men, you know, went all out in the first chucker, looked great, and then when a couple of goals went through, we started. We started sort of um, lacking a little bit of discipline in certain areas of the field and not just having vision. I feel very sorry for Marizen after, after her, her uh, little back pass yesterday. But I think they will recover from that. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see the game plan that, that Robin has for this women's side. You know, do we stick to what we've always done? Is he going to try something new? Um, it, it's, it is from a coaching perspective. It's one of those, yeah, the, those fa fascinating games. Um, I absolutely love it. I, I'm going to look forward to, to, to seeing how well we, we deal with the ability of Matla, especially. She is, you know, youngster, 24, 25. You know, she's, she's the highest uh, scoring player at the Euros. Um, she is super strong. She really is. You, you, you pretty much know that, like the uh, Belgian men, that when she hits it, front stick or reverse, it's going to come at such power. We've got to be really quick and reacting as, as, as Pums is going to have to do in goal. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> it's I mean, it is our flag bearer, our vice captain, our chartered accountant, Pumulela Mbanda's 50th test cap tomorrow. And, uh, and she's playing well, Tyron. She's, oh, she's, she's, no, she's playing she's, very she's well. Really, and, and what I like about her is she actually stays composed. You know, under pressure, she she really always looks like she's got it all together. You know, she's let a couple of goals in, but I tell you what, I between the men and the women's side, I think both Rassi and Pums have, have stuck their hand up and they've played brilliant in goal. Absolutely. Um, and, and she'll need to be on the game tomorrow. It's going to be tough. I mean, we all know that, uh, I mean, Ava de Gouda is so good. You've got Margot van Geffen, who is ridiculously yeah. talented. Madla is, is scoring goals uh, for fun. Uh, I mean, she's 100%. on something like almost 45 international goals in less than 70 games. And it's a ridiculous conversion rate. I mean, the, the, the players that they leave out would walk into most other teams at the Olympics. You know, it's it's a, a depth of talent that is amazing. And it, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be uh, a, a thrilling game. It's a great opportunity for the young South Africans... You know, to go and see where you are, see uh, the picking order, see what you can cause an upset. And, you know, also at the same time, take the opportunity to be inspired by people who have been there, done that and tasted success. Um, yeah. And a hundred percent, Tyron. I think that also the one thing that we do need to be aware of defensively is the ability for the Dutch to, to rotate so much within lines um, and especially up front, which is which is pretty much like the men play. You know, our, if you look at our women's side, we, we're fairly static in our formations and the way we would play. But the Dutch, there's, there's so much of a sort of rolling more mentality as well as a rotational uh, movement um, up front. So we've got to be really smart in how we handle the movement of the players off the ball and not so much just the player on the ball. Uh, absolutely. Uh, closing, um, John, I mean, you've uh, you've been to the Olympics a few times. Uh just 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 the five times uh but uh you know when you you look at these games no fans uh no uh no interaction at the same level as maybe in london or rio do they take anything away from the games or or is it still something that everybody that's there will say yep that was special I think, Tyrone, every Olympic Games is special and every uh, Olympic Games is unique. It's just really sad that uh, Tokyo, in my opinion, which should have been probably one of the, the best Olympics in the last 30, well, at least the last five that I've been to, so six, um, to, you know, it should have been one of the, the, the best, especially from a player's perspective. I mean, you know, they want to play uh, 
in front of full capacity crowds. Um, I mean, spectators would have traveled from all around the world. So it's, it's sad from that perspective, but I mean, the stadia looked fantastic. You can never take it away from any athlete that they've participated in the Olympic Games. So, you know, that, that would be fantastic. I hope our ladies can, can cause an upset. Somewhere along the line, in, a, in an event of this nature, there needs to be an upset. And maybe it can be tomorrow. I think if we, if we play within our capabilities and don't try and overextend ourselves um, and, and keep it simple, hopefully we can cause an upset. There's no reason why we can't. Why we can't. 2,000 caps or 1,000 caps, at the end of the day, they've got two arms and two legs like we have. So hopefully something can come about. Ah, well said, John. Two arms, two legs, hopefully zero goals tomorrow. Uh, that'll be the SA Women versus Netherlands. It is at 2.30 South African time. So if you get up nice and early, you're looking for some uh, some company, find us on social media. Otherwise, join us for Talking Tokyo ZA tomorrow as we digest the game. You'll be able to obviously hear it a bit earlier as we also look towards South Africa, Germany on Thursday. It should be good. Uh, John, Andy, Tucker, Tux, uh, Owen, thank you very much for joining. It was great to hear from you. And Tux, I know you're chatting to the boys. Uh, please share with them the country. We are proud of them. You know, it's it's a privileged position to be in that we can be disappointed that we're losing a game to Netherlands or Belgium. We'll do something. All right. Thanks, guys. And we will see you all thanks, soon. Cheers, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Cheers, everyone.